0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, another crazy week in Philadelphia sports.
1: (laughs) It's actually a sad week in Philadelphia sports. It is. Look, only, what, an hour before we come on air, we find out that a legend in Philadelphia has left us. I mean, for people that don't know, John Chaney, the former Temple head coach, uh, passed away today. And I can't imagine what's going through Temple in the basketball community. I
0: Look, I, I've told you before about the role with sports in my family. Uh, that 88 Temple team that John Chaney coached was how my stepdad and I bonded when he started dating my mom. He was a Temple grad. We watched those games that Mark Macon, Ramon Rivas' team in 88 uh, you know, 17 trips to the NCAA tournament, five trips to the Elite Eight, uh, you know, whether it was the morning practices at dawn, but, you know, he he said, I just want to be remembered as someone who cared. It's that simple. It's what we need more these days.
1: Yeah, and, and just my last comment for now, because we have a, a great guest coming on, is, is that uh, for people who didn't know in the city, uh, he was more than a basketball coach.
0: Yeah, Coach Cheney did much more than... Coach Basketball, the influence he had on lives, is actually a good segue to, to who our guest is today. We've got uh, former coach Gary Waters, author of the book, Ten Principles of a Character Coach. Coach Waters, thanks so much for giving us a little bit of time today. We were just uh, talking about Coach Cheney's passing a little bit.
2: Well, you're welcome. It's great to be on, on, on the show. And to be exact, I just heard about it 15 minutes ago it's uh
0: it's it's shocking when you hear it um what was your experiences with him as somebody who was also a trailblazer in
2: the sport well we ha we had a close friendship and I've known him for a long time, and we've played him a number a number of times when I was at Rutgers. I even played him when I was at uh Kent State. I played him uh so uh you know he was a great person you know i th- I think that's the first place you start at that he was a great person. And he did it, he did things the right way. And he also coached the game extremely well.
0: You know, you talk about the type of person that he is, and it's it, it goes into your book, which is all about character and, and development and, and being a character coach and the 10 Principles. Can you talk about how that book came about for you?
2: Very good. Uh, you know, I was one day just, just talking to some coaches, and I I was feeling them out. And when I heard things and and what they felt about the profession, because at the time we were going through some scandals within the profession, and I said, there's a problem in this profession right now with certain coaches. It's not all coaches, but with certain coaches. And uh, I need to get out a message to help young coaches understand the direction they should go.
0: You know, when, when the book comes together and and you put together all of the pieces to it, how did you decide that the character was the main focus? Because you talk about legacy, you talk about recruiting, you, you talk about so many people, but you seem to boil everything back to the case of having character. Where did that come from for you? Was that something that your mentors taught you? Did you teach yourself? Where did that come from?
2: Well, yes, definitely. It came from our, from, from mentors and it came from my, my parents because, you know, that's what the first step towards, toward knowing what character is all about should come from your parents. Prime example, I go into homes and when I was coaching and I would tell them that I couldn't be their child's role model and they would look at it. What man, that's what we're, that's why we're looking at you. We think you can teach him some things. I said, I can't. However, the role model should be you, the parent, because if you are not doing what the the things they need to know and do, then how are they going to do it? And I said, that's not my responsibility, but number one, it's not what I want to hold on to. They need to hold on to you because you are the key to their lives. But what I I did, then I would go on and say to them, but what I can be to your child is an example. I can live my life in a way that is in a manner that it says I'm doing the right things. And then they can see what the right things are to be done along with the things that you're teaching. So that's, you know, when I think about this whole thing in character, I was thinking about it and I said, you know what? This is what the profession needs. And, and what better to a person that believes in character to give that information?
1: You know, we were we were talking about the late John Thompson a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and the way that he recruited, the way that he ran his program, the things that he brought to the table. And I noticed in your book, you talk about when you talk about your recruiting philosophy, you talk about never recruiting at any cost, and and and, yes, and you talked yes. a little bit just now about what you say to parents when you go into their homes. But but how do you teach coaches in such a competitive uh, area of life? not to recruit at any cost, to actually stay strong to your own
2: principles. Well, and you know what, I, 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 what you're saying there is the vital part of this book and why I think character is so important in coaches' lives. You know, they, when they go into homes, the parents are looking at them, they're looking for something. And they're looking for that example for their child, that next step in their lives. I believe coaches are What I call on the front line they're the last line of defense and what you give them is what they're gonna take out into their real lives so I think what they need to know is as much as you can give them that tells them that they are the right things to do and the wrong things to do prime example God has given us a conscience right and the conscience tells us what's right and what's wrong but it's still up to us to make the decision what is right and uh, and that's what we need to teach our kids you know, I'm teach I'm writing my second book. It's almost finished. It's called uh, Coaching Millennials from a Character Perspective. And I'm talking about millennials, guys. When you think about millennials, you you think of a lot of things. And oh, what I, I have read one. in research <laughs> <laughs> what I read in research, I I really uncovered a lot of things in there and I I put it in the book. And and it's vital that they understand that the direction they get from their parents is, is that first uh, what I call training that they need to be successful in life.
1: And So what do you do when you know that millennials and even coaches are different today than they were even just 10 years ago, certainly 20, 30 years ago. So how, when you're recruiting millennials, they're, they're young adults who have done things a different way and have different expectations. How do you recruit to those kinds of kids?
2: Well, you know, it, 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 you, I would say it's simple, but it's not. It is, it is a difficult thing, and so what you have to do is make sure that what you believe in, and that's when we talk about values, principles, and and uh, and morals. When you believe in certain things, you want to make sure in the in the home, the first day, you give that information to them that they know what you're all about. Then they can expect what what is what should come next. But if you, if you don't bring that in the home and it's all about how being successful, uh, you know, you, you'll play every minute and all that, that's all they're going to believe in. And that's all they're going to hold to.
0: I enjoyed some of the stories about recruiting where you would say how a player would go and they'd hear you all these bad things about you from a school and then they'd come to you and you teach them about the water's way and recruit with integrity. Can you talk about how you use the water's way to contrast yourself with other programs where they were speaking negatively about you?
2: Well, you know what? Uh, let me say something. I, I love what you're asking because you know it's telling me you've read some of the book. <laughs> I,
0: I really enjoyed it. I, I, told, I told Jeff it was, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Rutgers grad. So you, you came in coaching right as I was finishing um, my time there as an undergrad. And so I got to watch you as a coach and and it was interesting to to see some of these lessons through your eyes after watching you as a coach for a team that I rooted for.
2: Well, you know, think about thinking about that. I said I you know I got that co- that book coming that's coming out about millennials. That underneath it says the Rutgers experience, and the reason why is because during that time is when I had millennials. So you've got to get you when I when I put that out, you you'll know everything that went on with millennials there at Rutgers. But go back to your question again, because I want to make sure I get, answer that for
0: you. So the, the question was, you know, I enjoy I was saying I enjoyed the stories where a recruit would go to somebody else and that oh, team yes. would badmouth you and trash you. And then they would come to you. And because of the way you tried to cr- recruit with integrity, you basically used your water's way philosophy to contrast that with the bad mouthing of the other team and often would win players over. Just wondering if you could talk yeah. about that process.
2: Well, that's a great process because what you're doing is being honest to them. And if you remember in, uh, well, you don't remember because it's not in there saying this. It's in my other book. It, I'm talking about core values. And, and I list there are five core values that are, are constant or would control things. For instance, there are many values of character, but there are five core. And they go, they go like this, integrity, which you've already mentioned. But the second one is honesty. And then the third one is uh, respect, loyalty, all these things that we're losing in our society. So when I, when I bring a kid on campus and I hear a story of that magnitude, I, I literally try to tell them that's not the only way you can, you, you can be recruited or you can live your life. And that's what I'm trying to do with this book, to give them alternative ways to understand that there, there are better ways to do this thing, and you don't have to do it unethically. But here's,
1: the, here's one of the problems with coaching is, is the struggle with you're a coach, okay? Your, your job is to coach a basketball team and to win games. But all the, all the great coaches that we've talked about stress how important the success in the classroom is. And you talk about that in your book and how proud you were about the, the player's success in the classroom and then in life. How do you deal with the balance of the struggle of being pressed to win Versus having players who respect and want to do well in the classroom.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good point, and you know that's in you know I put a lot of that in the recruiting process because when you go out and you're looking for a kid, you want to make sure some of these qualities are within that kid. And I tell you one quality that is pretty unique, and it can fit in any area. And what I've realized that. When I looked at kids, I use this quality, and that's that's a honest and true heart, meaning a good heart. See, you can you you can recruit a kid that's got say some academic issues, because you're gonna have everybody's not gonna be perfect, or you can recruit a kid that has some struggling things, uh, you know, dealing with personalities. However, if you when you when you study the kid and you realize he's got a good heart, then you can change some things within him. If he doesn't have a good heart. You can do all the things you want trying to help that kid, it's going to be hard to bring him, bring him forward to do the right things.
0: You know, you talk about the kids doing the right things. Uh, I enjoyed where you talked about work ethic and that really seemed to be the influence from your father that you talked about in that chapter. How did he shape your work ethic and how does that shape the way you work with players on developing their own work ethic?
2: Well, I've seen him in, in you know, at the early stages, how how, 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 how hard he worked for our family. That was number one. Number two, this and this is what really changed my whole thinking about it. You know, I, I'll never forget this story. I went to him one day and I said, hey, you know, back in the day when I was coming up, Converse gym shoes was the main thing, you know. Now, you think about them Converse today. A kid couldn't even think about getting on the floor with one of them shoes without it blowing out. But in those days, you, you, that was the best thing since sliced bread. So I, you know, I went to my dad. I said, hey, Dad, you know, I want to get these converts to play. And he said, okay, good, good. And I said, well, I need some help. He said, okay, I'll help you. You come to work tomorrow, and, you'll get some, and you can get your shoes, and you can work and get it. And he taught me that from the beginning. You can get whatever you want in life. But if you work at it and you work hard at it, you get an opportunity to get it.
0: You know, in in the chapter about loyalty, you you talk about the value of loyalty, but but then you also highlight the detrimental consequences of loyalty to the wrong causes or lack of loyalty altogether. I found that fascinating, but I'm also interested in the context of what's the state of loyalty in sports today? How is that tested by the current climate where players can go right into the transfer portal if they're not happy? A coach can leave and take a job for more money after recruiting kids to be
2: there. Where does loyalty
0: stand these days?
2: Well, let me say this. It's, it's a bad example for our children today. And and many of them are following, following suit. When you look at AAU, they change from team to team. They're moving and, and, and the parents are at the head of it. Let's move. Let's get out of here. I don't have the right gym shoes. I'm not getting playing enough time. So it's obviously when they get to college, they think these same things should occur in their life. and and. But let's not only stop there. We can go at the college ranks with, with uh, administration. They don't have loyalty either. They're looking at this thing as if you win, you stay. If you don't win, I don't have any loyalty for you. And, it, and they have for, forgotten the idea that it's more than just winning and losing. It's about building people in character. And if you can do that, all the people that come through your program in some shape or form is, will end up very, very successful in life then now think about what i'm saying here then they're gonna get money back to your program because they are making money
0: yeah everybody does better when when everybody wins look at the end of the book you you talk about leaving a legacy and we obviously appreciate the legacy you're leaving we'd love for you to come back on and talk about the new book when it comes out and and really appreciate what you're doing to to try and raise awareness about the importance of, of having some of these traits come back to sports
2: well i thank you for having me on and 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 what I'm saying is I'm true to the point. If we follow these principles or principles that are similar, in life, things can be a lot easier. You know, I don't know if I mentioned, but I, I said that one of the jobs I'm doing right now in, in retirement, my wife said I, really, I haven't really retired, but one of the jobs I'm doing is I, I'm speak, I'm, I do a workshop for the police department or law enforcement. And the workshop is a character development workshop and I created it because I've seen the, the climate that's going on in our society today, and number two, I also felt that they need some positive publicity about what the good ones are doing in the police department. So, you know, when you think about this whole thing, if you can connect with people that are doing the right things, good things happen, and that's that's why I'm saying get coaches, get help players, Move forward, or get leaders. Whatever you can do to help you move forward with your character, so you can be successful in life.
1: Hey, Gary, if, if you have one more minute, I, I just wanted to follow oh, up. Oh no, on, I got. Um, I'm
2: good. I'm free. Now, right, you remember well, I'm in retirement?
1: Well, well hey, look. <laughs> if you if you invite us for more, we'll keep talking. Uh, um, so, <laughs> you talked about what you're doing with with police officers. We're we're in a society. We're in a time right now where there is that that push and pull between bad officers and good officers and and how we bring those communities together. How important is it for coaches, for athletes, for people who have a platform like you to do the things that you are doing? And how do you encourage more
2: people to do it? Well, I tell you, what you're saying is is paramount. If you can get the people that have influence, because that's what the whole thing is about. They see certain people with influence, that have, that have done things in their life. So, you know, people seem to gravitate toward them. So I looked at that whole situation and said, you know, I can help. What can you do to help? And I think the more, once you're in, in you know, you're not doing what you're doing in, in your profession, you can still help people out in the world. You know, one of the things I've learned that when you go into retirement, you know, some people, everything ends. But, it, but in my estimation, there's a new life for you. If, if you can just take the things that you have learned and share it with other people and that's going to be the big big key is that you're sharing the knowledge and information that you have with other people and that's my objective and if we can do that with this character. issue, think about it if everyone can give a little step toward character you know we won't have uh, political issues as bad as
0: book is 10 Principles of a Character Coach. Coach Gary Waters, thank you so much for the time. Look forward to having you back on when the new book comes out.
2: Oh, I'd love to be back on there. And thanks for having me. You know, I enjoyed every minute of it. You have a great one. Okay, take care.
0: Jeff, you want to talk about um, doing the right thing? You know, we're lucky. We talk about how lucky we are with the coaches we have in the city here. The people we've talked about, we talked about the impact Coach Thompson had on the game. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Rutgers
1: part of book book part two. To- yeah, you per- you perked up. I will tell you, anytime you mention Rutgers, you know I'm not you know, going to say names, but I but I was talking to you about some other uh, athletes that 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 I'm talking to about coming on. And when I saw said two Rutgers guys, you you just perk up every time. I'm being honest. We have a more limited selection in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> but it,
0: you know it's uh, I I read the book and I said to you, this is really a lot about Cleveland State and and. Mm-hmm told this story through the eyes of his journey there and i i just i really found it kind of fascinating how he he did that and you know we've we've talked about this with coaches and, and i asked him about it you know
1: where is loyalty in sports right now you know, what's, you, know you know what i'm always amused at is is that that Uh, our guests always are surprised that we read their books. (laughs) So, so, so the question is, is how many, how many shows are people going on where where nobody's reading their book? Like what, what's the point? (laughs) Having worked in communications and public
0: relations, there's a reason that you put bullet points in a press release. Yeah. It's for the shows and people who don't have the time to prepare. You and I try to rotate and alternate, you know, who's reading what and make sure that we I, I, I found the book really interesting.
1: Well, that's it. The, the, the book is interesting. You do learn a lot. I mean, almost every book we've read, I, I've said the same thing to you about on and off the air. But this, this is a really good book. And it's an important book because you do sit there and you wonder, like, you know, the struggles that coaches go through when you have character guys like Gary Waters on and you have character people, like we've talked about John Thompson with Jesse Washington and, you, and, and John Chaney as well. There is that constant struggle, and it creates so much additional stress, too, because it really is hard to do both, to win and have character. It's not as easy as, even as Gary said, and Gary's, you know, his motivational speaking, you can go online and find YouTube stuff of him talking. its It really, you have to balance things, and that balance doesn't always win, lead to NCAA championships and you have to be okay with the idea that you may not win a championship but you've put together a program you can be character you could be proud of and a legacy that you're leaving behind not just to a program but to people i was glad we could get him to
0: talk about coach cheney too mm-hmm. uh, you know it's uh shocking news for him too i mean we had tried to get him on the show so you know that that was something that we had tried to
1: talk about i it, you know, and, and and remember we recently talked to um to Aaron McKee who played for him uh, and yeah. he talked about his time with, with John Chaney. If people haven't heard it, you know, we could put it back up so people can hear it. But John Chaney, you know, John Cheney was bigger than life. I mean, especially in the city and for people that know college basketball, I mean, some people know him for one particular incident because it was played over and over again. Calipari but,
0: actually tweeted out today a picture saying we had our run-ins, but I'll miss you. I mean, they became friendly, apparently in their older age, but everybody remembers that scene in 95. Uh, I mean, I remember the game that Marcus Camby had going off against temple that pre- precipitated that press conference. You know,
1: you know, what's weird. What I remember most of John Cheney, the things that I remember most fondly are not him coaching basketball. I don't know if you remember, he used to come on, it was either Christmas day or, or new year's day. He would go on, was a prism and then, uh, and then Comcast back in the day. And he would come on and do an interview. Yeah, he would do this live a lot. Okay? Yeah, yeah, and, and you, but he would do this like this whole hour thing, and, and and just you were just you were being grossed in what he would talk about. Watching him speak, I
0: always felt like I was under the learning tree, mm-hmm. and it wasn't um, it wasn't necessarily about X's and O's in basketball, despite the fact that his matchup zone defense gave teams fits, and nobody wanted to play them in the tournament, including in Michigan including Michigan that, mm-hmm. that, that defense was very hard for teams to pick up. But, you know, I thought it was fitting that we had Gary on because a lot of those characteristics that Gary talked about are the things that people talk about when it comes to John Cheney,
1: mm-hmm. I so, agree.
0: you know, uh, condolences to, to the family and everybody at, at temple. Uh, he clearly had an impact on people way further than temple. Um, yeah and
2: and I'm
1: hoping that you know in in the coming weeks we can we can talk to somebody who's been who either played with him coached with him or spent time with him uh, about more of the memories of of what he what he's done and what he's left behind because we always talk so much on the show about using your platform uh, the way he coached and and what he did for his players was using his platform absolutely all the time why don't we go to some Sixers let's keep talking
0: basketball until we get into some football they're winning Currently a lot. in the East, 13 and six, their starters have played 10 games together. They're 10 and zero or 11 games. Now they're 10 and one in Philly. What are your thoughts on what we're seeing with this team?
1: Uh, you know, they talk about home home court advantage and the Sixers are showing this home court advantage where they're 10 and one at home. And I don't understand. Like I get it when the fans are there because the fans in Philadelphia are crazy. It's somebody that goes to those games. It's been a season ticket holder. It is crazy in that arena. There is nobody there now. You cannot tell me that Franklin is holding up everything for all of the fans. But why is it that this team is playing so well in Philadelphia without anybody there?
0: Power Franklin,
1: <laughs> keep, keep it up for
0: the dog. Huge win over the Lakers the other night. Uh, they were up thirteen in the. Who, who was the
1: guy? Who was the guy at the end of the game? Had the ball.
0: Now the the it, the play was drawn up. For Seth Curry with right. Tobias as the second option. Mm-hmm. You find it interesting that neither of the first two options are Ben or Joel. No, I, well, you, you know, I'm your option. But
1: yeah, but you're asking me a question that you already know the, you know, that I'm not going to be surprised by it because I, I've been telling you that Tobias Harris is the guy because of his history with doc rivers, that I thought that as the season went on that Tobias was going to be the guy. And now Tobias is averaging short 20 points a game. He has totally found his footing. He clearly should be an all-star this year for whatever virtual all-star game or whatever all-star game they're going to have. I got a question about that. Yeah, about that one or the the NFL one where they're going
0: to be Madden. No, no, no. Um, The NBA is – we'll go back to the Sixers in a second. The NBA is considering holding an actual all-star game in Atlanta in March. Uh Is that a good idea? No. (laughs) Anytime (laughs) athletes go to Atlanta, bad things happen. So um, wait, what is, wait, what what is it? The, is it the lemon pepper chicken wings? A bunch of people are going to go out for wings. And then we're going to have problems. <laughs> so I'm just well, wondering if this is the best idea to one, hold the all-star game during this all, and two, to hold it in that particular
1: city. I did not realize that it was in Atlanta, but it opens the door to so many jokes as you get closer to it. Yes. But the one thing is, I don't care if Lou Williams is leading the league in scoring. He cannot go to the game and he cannot be around anybody because he will t- keep telling everybody, no, really, We gotta go to this club for the chicken wings. I thought you realized it was in Atlanta. I didn't realize it would be breaking. No, think about it. They're telling people they don't want them shaking hands after games. They don't want them doing it. They're gonna have weren't they gonna have people at center court to enforce them not hugging? Security separating
0: players so they don't hug. They're like right.
1: So so the so the idea is we're gonna now bring people converge people from all over the place into into two locker rooms. Yes, if this is. This has been hard enough. I don't know how they're going to get through a season. It's been impressive that they have. But look at the team. There have been some teams that have been really impacted. Look at what happened to the Wizards. They hardly ever have any like the same people. Well, that Jimmy. Jimmy Butler has has missed over half the season so far.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of teams that have really had problems. You know, the Sixers. If you look at it, got lucky. It wasn't worse than what it was. Exactly. But- like they had guys sit out, but they only had one player actually positive in Seth Curry. And so, you know, you've had your other guys, although they set out for their quarantine, they've been back. You know, let's last week when we talked, Ben uh, was not being as aggressive. We were questioning where his head was this week, much more aggressive in the games, much more aggressive in the Lakers game, 17 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists for
1: another triple double. Uh, you like what you see out of Ben this week? I like what I I like, what I see out of doc rivers. I I'm still confused as whether I like what I see out of Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, I believe has so much more potential than what he is showing still. But the question is whether or not he's put a governor on his game to fit within the framework of whatever doc rivers is trying to do. And as long as they keep winning at the pace they're winning in the way that they're winning, I guess it works as long as he's okay with it. And he does seem with okay with it. Now, if he comes out after the season, no matter what happens and says, you know, I'm not happy here because, because I don't get to shoot and I don't get to do this and I don't get to do that. It's one thing, but right now, Ben Simmons seems like the perfect teammate, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the only way I know how to describe it is that Ben Simmons is a great player being an even better teammate he's going along with what the team is doing right now yeah, and he's saying all the right things you don't yeah. see him pouting over them. i mean look there, there was no there was a point on. during the, the 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 trade that didn't happen where where ben cleared that one game where they scored 139 points and ben shot the ball twice but I, my feeling is is that ben knew he was about to be traded and wasn't happy with it but since then for a guy that was literally on the verge of being shipped to houston to the middle of nowhere somehow he seems to put that all aside and he is being the consummate teammate
0: and is questionable tonight against the timberwolves he took a really hard flagrant one foul after the game uh, it was by lebron by the mm-hmm. way after the game he said i guarantee if it were me i would have been ejected uh what'd you think of the lebron play on Embiid? that was an ugly fall he couldn't brace himself at all
1: it, it was an ugly fall but let's, let's face it joel Embiid spends a lot of time falling Yes, and every time you hear that thud, and you go, especially since he's had a bad back, it just worries me that he falls so much. You've talked and about that, how much time he spends on the ground, given
0: how bad his back is.
1: Yeah, so yes, I do think that it should have been a flagrant two. There, in reality, they were never going to call flagrant two on LeBron James in the middle of a game between the Sixers and the Lakers. It just wasn't going to happen. Doc Rivers basically said as much that it wasn't going to happen.
0: No, it wasn't Uh, somebody who's gotten less fewer minutes lately, only played six minutes against LA, but when Embiid hasn't been in the game, when he was out against Detroit, he had 21 minutes, uh, Tyrese Maxey, Mm -hmm. uh, your thoughts. Is he still opening your eyes? I, every time he goes to the basket and looks out of control, I'm waiting for you to text me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I told you. (laughs) His scoring has gone down precipitously over the last week or so. um, But he obviously has a lesser role as Curry is back. So he's a guy that, I mean, the Sixers, I was I was actually sitting with my son yesterday. And we were going through the Eastern Conference, trying to figure out what team has as much depth as the Sixers. And the answer is there is none. If, if you look at the depth of the Sixers right now, they have a starting five that's as good, if not better than any team in the East, maybe arguably the only one would be the Celtics. I I don't even think the Bucs have as good a starting five. But then you get to that second five. If you go ten deep, there is no team in the East that can go ten deep the way the Sixers can.
0: Well, I agree with you for the right they're built for the regular season. I'm still concerned about the postseason that that No, that's not my
1: point. My point is that they are built for the for the postseason because they can go that deep. Embiid can take a breather in a game because you have Dwight Howard, as long as Dwight Howard doesn't go to the free-throw line.
0: I agree with you. I still worry about Ben in the half court of tight playoff games when when the bat Why? Why? Because he still has an unwillingness to shoot anywhere around the rim. So he'll drive. Yeah, but
1: you have you have other people now that, that aren't if, willing if to shoot. You look
0: at the stats. People off the drive and kick are shooting like fifty percent on threes on their shots. Right. The so yeah. you know maybe I'm I'm just wrong on that, and I'm looking for something more traditional that doesn't need to be there. But I just wonder how it impacts the spacing when the game gets tighter. If Joel is out on the wing rather than underneath and Ben is driving, but kicking and you don't really have anybody with their back to the basket at all. Does that matter?
1: Well, there's, look, there's only one team that has five guys that can shoot all the time, which is the Utah jazz, which have this ridiculous amount of three point shooters on their team. But when you have four guys who can shoot, which is what we have now and Ben Simmons who can drive and kick, as you say, the spacing is now there. Yes. It would be great if he would shoot more. I still believe he can shoot more but he's not going to for whatever reason that's just not in his game at least not this year and at least not in the foreseeable future here's my question looks like jj reddick is going to be available do you want him i don't know if he fits within the cap but 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 if you can fit him without giving up anything significant sure absolutely another sharpshooter would you take him would you take him over for matisse
0: in the role they're using, Matisse. That's a has. tough one. Yeah. But see that they that's they're the not thing. using, you know, as a young talent, I think that Matisse has the potential, but it doesn't seem like Doc really believes in him. He's not a part of his rotation. He's not having the impact that he did last year. And so in this situation, I, I probably would think about that.
1: But the thing is about Matisse is he is not shooting. You can every day you can open up your newspaper or look online the day after the game and he could be in for twenty minutes and he shoots the ball two times. And I don't know if that's planned, or I don't know if he's just not willing to shoot when he's in there. I don't know if he doesn't have the confidence. We know he hanging can. Hanging out with them too much, huh? And hanging out with them too much. I don't know, I, but but he. But if you look at his plus minus, and and that's not a stat I'm big on, but it is a stat that stat geeks are big on. His plus minus is always really good, because he does play incredible defense. And so again, is he a guy that's Pulling back his game to fit within, let's win a championship. And if he is, then, and if the Sixers feel that they can keep him, that's fine. But if you can bring in a sharp shooter off the bench, as, as good as Maxie he is, he's not a sharp shooter. Look, you, you, you get Seth
0: Curry and JJ Reddick on the same team. You don't have to yeah. worry about Ben Simmons taking any shots. Exactly. It's just not. A concern. And so, given the construction of the team, I think you'd have to do that. While we wait for Ken Houston, we'll, we'll try to get him. We still have plenty to talk about. Jeff, do I have to say you're right? It I would you be, know it, how much it I think it would imagine.
1: be nice. I always enjoy it when you do, but what thing? Oh, I know. You go ahead. Qualifiers
0: after, but okay. I am There's very. There's so many things that could be talking about. But go ahead. No, no, there really are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited that the Phillies have re signed JT Real Muto. And And you have shown it all
1: week on on my text thread. They got him, as you (laughs) talked
0: about, at a better price, five years, $115 million. Uh I give them credit for staring the train in the eye and not blinking. I still think they got lucky. (laughs) The pandemic hit in the sports. Because if if it wasn't the way it was, he'd have much more of a market. In the end, though, I'm not going to complain that he's here. So I'll, I'll give you it. You were right. Your thoughts on the Phillies making the move and, and bringing back JT. Can,
1: can I tell you that this was the plan? I can't tell you. I can tell you that if I was the Sixers and I've told you all along that he was asking for 200, well, yeah, if I'm, if I'm the Phillies, it's $200 million that he was asking about, right? So they signed him for almost half of that. I and, and so I, I don't really care about Middleton's money but I do care whether or not they're able to bring in other talent to put around a catcher. And so if you ne- if he now says, okay, I'm going to spend half of that on other talent, then it's worth it. If he saved himself a hundred million dollars and doesn't put anything around JT, then I got a problem. Were they playing with fire Jeff? You're always playing with fire when you let somebody go out on the market. But, but there weren't that many teams that were going to be willing to sign a catcher to that much money. It, he is a catcher. He's a catcher in his 30s. Catchers do not usually age well until they, unless they're going to move into the role of designated hitter, which the Major League Baseball has decided not to He's put 29 in the National right League. Yeah. yeah, so Major League Baseball, what? Uh, he's
0: 29 right now. Yeah, so. and
1: when does he turn 30?
0: soon probably okay well
1: <laughs> i mean you
0: talk <laughs> about moving them dh major league baseball players association turned down the latest mlb proposal for universal dh in an expanded format um they say they didn't want to talk about a trade of that for benefits so it's been turned down i still think major league
1: baseball is moving in that direction of a universal dh though well why why didn't they take advantage of doing it now and I, why did when why I, is the wanna, it appears the players association doesn't want it they, they don't want to bargain it
0: with expanded playoffs. You're the negotiator. They want to bargain that separately. So I'm guessing there's something else they'd rather trade off for the DH and something else they'd rather trade off for the expanded playoffs and not have it be one for one. That seems to be what it is.
1: Find me the player that doesn't want an opportunity to make the playoffs. So I, I, that I'm puzzled by too. I understand the union is supposed to represent the entirety of the players. What entirety of the players doesn't say, we want more of an opportunity to make the playoffs? I, I would think- Do that... they want to go home? Like, like that doesn't make any sense to me. Here's a chance for you to have more teams in the playoff, which means more players are in the playoff. I understand the concept that they want more money, but here, if you have more teams in the playoff, there's more playoff funds. If you have the designated hitter, that's an extra salary that gets added. The roster would go up.
0: Yeah, I don't get it. I haven't understood. I never really understand the Players Association bargaining points sometimes, but I don't often understand (laughs) where the owners are coming from at at times as well. I mean, look, we're about to potentially get an MLS lockout after they have one of their biggest growth seasons. Well, they they
1: just bought themselves another week. So, yes, they they just agreed to extend it for another week. So let's see whether or not they get that done. MLS cannot afford to have a strike. They're they're growing. They have new teams. You. They they just can't afford it. My my dad Murray, who I I told
0: you I went to the Temple games with, still will not pay for a baseball ticket after the '95 lockout. He just he was done. He, he these millionaires couldn't agree on what they wanted, and and he was done. And so every time you go through these lockouts, you lose a group of fans, and you're in where. There's lots of sources of entertainment for people. And I don't think that these leagues can be affording to lose fans.
1: Yeah, but see, the, the, that's that was for a bigger sport. When you have MLS, you have a sport that is not considered one of the top five or top four sports. So you have a situation where they can get lost very easily. I'm not more, if I'm the MLS, I'm not worried about anger. I'm worried about becoming irrelevant. You have become relevant. Cities are are growing. There are teams being added. If they don't play for a season, it won't be a lot of fans that are angry. It'll be a lot of fans that just forget. And the worst thing you can be in sports is irrelevant. You want people to be angry or happy, not
0: not caring. The NHL is still trying to build back their relevancy after their shutdown. Uh, it, It just, these leagues haven't. We'll get to the Flyers in a minute, but... And I, it behooves these leagues to work out their labor agreements and not have strikes. Yeah. Jeff, I'm, I'm going to throw this to you and I don't know where you're going to take it. There were no new inductees into the major league baseball hall of fame this year. And Kurt Schilling is not happy about that. Poor baby. He, he does not want his name in consideration next year, which he can't do um your thoughts on no inductees to the hall of fame this year including
1: well so technically there are inductees to the hall of fame this year because last year's ceremony got canceled so Derek jeter's class would technically be at the induction ceremony this year it'll just say i think 2020 on their plaques so it's not like, oh my God, what are we going to do if there's no pandemic left and what, there's actually a Hall of Fame ceremony because there are people to have it. Who cares if Kirk Schilling gets in or doesn't get in? Do you do you really care at this point? It, it I'm and, and I'm and I'm not going to talk and I'm not going to go into his politics or what he's done with with what's he a Hall of Fame doing?
0: when he played. He was borderline. I the, I, see, I agree. He was borderline, but I don't. But, know well,
1: yeah, but you agree because you're always on the fence. Yeah, but, but I
0: don't. <laughs> I don't know that he has this slam dunk case to be it. I'm bad at those comparisons.
1: He doesn't see, and that the, the problem with these Hall of Fames is is people think that someone has to get in every year. If if it was more acceptable not to have anyone get in every year, then I don't think you'd ever think of Kurt Schilling as a Hall of Famer. And there are a decent number of people that might not be in the hall of fame. I want to be able to, it's not stats. A lot of times for me, it's okay. If this is my generation of player, the sports I watched, do I look at this person? And when I hear their name, do I go, that guy is in the hall of fame. Uh, you, you, you know, to me, it's in your gut. You know, whether or not the person's a hall of famer, like the fact that Scott Rowland, they think may get in yesterday because may get in next year because his numbers are going up in that that progression that you see people How do you get, get better
0: in? over time after you finish your career when they vote. I've never understood that. Oh, more votes each year.
1: But this is why because they can fill out of what is it ten names that they can put on there. So if everybody puts ten names on there, yes, it increases it. I so it, it does rapidly increase for some people, but when you think of Scott Rowland, I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it if he gets in. I'm saying when you say Scott Rowland, and and don't do it from a Philadelphia perspective, because I know that there is a visceral reaction to Scott Rowland because he demanded out. But when you think of Scott Rowland, do you say Hall of Famer? No. Exactly. But, and he won titles with St. Louis. So. Well, and he's one of the greatest defensive third basemen of all time. But you don't think of him as a Hall of Famer. So when it comes to Kurt Schilling, yes, Kurt Schilling had some great seasons. He had some certainly great games in the World Series with the Diamondbacks and the Bloody Sock with the Red Sox. The, the lore of Kurt Schilling is better than Kurt Schilling. <laughs> exactly. So he. I, I don't know if anybody's in up in arms, even if Kurt Schilling wasn't who he is off the field, if he wasn't his Twitter person. I don't think people are upset that Kurt Schilling doesn't get in. I don't think he's that, I don't think people say, whoa, he's really being wronged as a result. There are people who believe that about though, about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. So it's it's very weird because you do. I mean, look, I saw Barry, I was in Pittsburgh when Barry Bonds was there. You look at Barry Bonds and you go, That was, the of tamer. Yeah, that was skinnier Barry Bonds, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was that was Barry Bonds' skinny days. All right, we'll leave the baseball talk there. But we are getting closer to spring training, Jeff.
1: Are, are you excited? Are you feeling the warmth? And- I, I would get more excited if we could go to spring training. I'd get more excited if I could, you know, we could leave our homes. But it, it's hard to get excited when... And we haven't gotten to the point yet where, you know, for me, it's I go to spring training. For us, we go to spring training and get to talk to the players. Well, right now, it's spring training is just this idea. I mean, like yesterday was the winter caravan, which normally we're at. and We're talking to players and stuff. You know, it's virtual. It's not, it's just, it doesn't seem real yet. And it should seem real. And we should be more excited considering it's 10 degrees right now. <laughs>
0: Speaking of ten degrees, let's talk some hockey. Flyers are five two and one on the season. Take back to back. Oh,
1: and breaking news: uh, Ken's still in a meeting. He's trying to get out to talk. <laughs> if he can't, we'll get him on another week. We always find stuff to talk
0: about, but uh, we'll try and get Ken Houston. We'll work on that. At least he let us know. That's yes. cool. I just drive uh-huh. on the air like, uh, hey, where is he? Yeah. Uh, they're they're now. Flyers are now third in the East. That's despite being outshot thirty-four to seventeen last night, twenty-four to eight in the first two periods. Uh, look, th- this team has some some caution lights despite their yeah their record defense. right now. Uh, they're,
1: they're on defense, So where those caution lights are.
0: They've used nine defensemen now after Nate Prosser came up from the taxi squad to score a goal last night, his first goal in the NHL. Uh, that's more than the eight that no, they first,
1: uh, Not first goal in the NHL ever. First, first goal as a flyer. Two years. Yeah. In two years. I think it was two uh, years. Yeah.
0: That's more defensemen than they used all of last season. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You sent me some stats about the defense. Eric Gustafson is a, a headache to watch. Uh, <laughs> he's a turnover machine. Of the 100 defensemen that have played 94 or more minutes at five on five. The Flyers have two of the bottom twelve and three of the bottom twenty three defensemen. Yeah, they're yeah, when, not bad. when I
1: sent you that, what did, did you
0: just like want to jump? I just put my, my head in my hands. And I was like, Oh, because you know, you watch Gustafson and he always manages to get the turnover at the wrong time. And I I've watched it because I have Carter Hart on my fantasy team. And he has oh, enjoyed me giving
1: up six goals. Oh my in god! Game. You and your fantasy team. And
0: so I've, I've seen the defense with the turnovers, but then Carter Hart came back really strong last night, 33 saves on 34 shots, which is what you want to see out of the kid who showed the most emotion that he has breaking his stick after the game the other night. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your thoughts on the defense and Carter Hart right now. Is is Nate Prosser the answer? Is that what we're going to design now? Well, he's back on the taxi squad assigned today, so I would say no. So
1: it it will be very sad for this city if the big, after all the good things that Chuck Fletcher did, if the biggest mistake he makes in costing us a potential Stanley Cup run is that he did not replace Matt Niskanen. No. That that's going that is not something that this city can live with. We we are a defenseman or two from being a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And you cannot leave a young goalie like Carter Hart out there to fend off 35, 40, 45 shots a night. You just can't do it. Nobody's gonna be able to
0: save that many on that many shots, deflections, you name it. I mean, Gustafson did have a nice slap pass to Claude Drew for his first goal of the season. Clearly, although the captain, Claude Drew, has a different role on this team at this stage in his career. So uh, does Warchuk. I've been concerned about the offense, though. I mean, in terms of possessing the puck in the vicinity of the opposing net, that's a problem. Actually shooting when you do that, the breakout, it's not just defense. This team has looked off, and I'm not sure –
1: if it's their scheme that's different or the players will, I don't can I can I make you feel just a little bit better Sure so the sky's not falling No they're not in last place No look their five, their record is fine and they're not playing their best right now they're, they're third And that's in, a good sign
0: They're third in the East but they've been leaking oil to get there and I'm concerned about what this team it's early. To
1: look like. It is. It, it's early. And, and it's not, it's not like they're, they're leaking like a dam. It's not like something that can't be fixed. Um, you, you wonder now if, if they're going to have to move Myers back to defense, right?
0: when he comes back healthy. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, they've had so many injuries between Couturier and Frost and Myers and, and guys that have been out, other injuries on defense. You but, know, but see, that's the, that's
1: part of the other problem is is that you've had injuries early in the season. So as long as these aren't season-ending injuries, you, you will have players coming back that are going to add to this. You just got to hope that you don't have more injuries compiled on top of this because they can't afford to lose another scorer or two. They just can't. They they don't have that kind of depth left in the minors to be able to bring them up and deal with this. You got any thoughts on all these back to back games between these teams? It's
0: it's different the way that they have the schedule. Same thing in basketball. You got back to
1: backs, home and homes. I like it. I like the idea of playing playing the CMT team back to back. I think it adds get more something to it as it goes. You're definitely going to have
0: more bad blood when these teams play. Well, well,
1: back-to-back. see. So the back to back now is one thing. If if this were twenty years ago in hockey and you had all of these back to backs, can you imagine the name of the number of game misconducts that would have happened? The number of people, the the number of fights that would be happened when you would would have them playing the Boston Bru yeah, you would have them playing the Bruins and 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 something would happen and then they come back the next night and play them again.
0: You think Carter Hart would fight as a goalie? (laughs)
1: No. Even even after breaking his stick, I don't think so. We got just under eight minutes left. We
0: got to get to the Eagles. Uh, we'll try and get Ken on another week. Not a not a problem. We'll, we'll there's plenty to talk about with a Hall of Famer anytime he's free. Jeff, what is the identity of this organization going to be? Uh, I, I I do not understand that yet. After the coaching hires, and we'll get into what they have and what's going on. But who are the Philadelphia Eagles right now after this week? <laughs>
1: i just just answered your question with a laugh nobody (laughs) knows who they are this is a train wreck i don't understand i did not want reacting here Uh, now now i I had i had stuff to do today so i didn't sit around watching uh siriani's press conference but the way you described siriani's press conference today he was a little nervous a little nervous okay that is the last word that you should ever use with the leader of your team. I he should understand. now. I don't need Campbell and the nonsense that he did with the Lions when he came out and basically said, "I am King Kong. I run. I rule the world." But you do not need your head coach walking into his first meeting and, and look and his first press conference and looking at the feeding frenzy of, feeding frenzy of reporters and 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 looking nervous. Granted can't. on zoom, it's awkward. They're not in the room. Yeah, so yeah, maybe I'll give him a little, look, I'm not going to overreact. No, you can't, no, see, you can't do that. What? You, you, you cannot give him a little room to being nervous. He he's already behind the eight ball. People are already, when somebody is looking at you skeptically because uh, you don't look like you should have the job because they don't think you have the chops to have the job and the experience. You have to walk in that room and own it.
2: You have got
1: to walk. And and when you're the head coach of a football team, your players are watching that press conference and they need to say, this guy's going to control it. Especially when you have a potential quarterback controversy, you have an issue where there's questions about whether Carson wins can get along with his head coaches. That's not what you want. You needed somebody to walk in there and just say, he's in control. Carson Wentz is going to listen and Carson Wentz is going to get better. So those were the two most important things to me, not that he was nervous that came out
0: of the press conference. He said that Howie Roseman controls the 53 man roster. He controls the game day 48. Mm -hmm. And when asked who his starter is going to be, he said, we have two good quarterbacks but didn't name a starter. Uh, how do you think Carson Wentz feels about that? You're saying that you you think the quarterback is insecure. Uh reports say that he still has some concerns about the organization itself. Um, he hasn't spoken publicly. You would hope that your leader would say something publicly through all of this and not let this fester that would be communications 101. Uh Well,
1: apparently he didn't do well in communications 101. That's the problem. You're, you're, you're pointing out exactly what the concern should be for every Eagles fan is, is that you had a quarterback controversy. I didn't expect him to walk in, and I didn't want him to walk in if I'm an Eagles fan to sit there and say, Carson Wentz is my guy. I don't think that's what you do because you do have a quarterback issue. And if you want to have competition, you come in and say, Look, I have no question that these two guys are going to be in the quarterback room competing. And I have no question that either one of these teams is going to be able to lead this team. And I'm going to let them duke it out. I'm going to let them fight for the job. And both of them are going to be ready for this team to win. That's what I would have hoped to have heard, but you're telling me that's not what you got.
0: I did not sound like that. It's It's not,
1: it's not like they rushed him to the press conference straight from, from Indianapolis. He had plenty of time to prepare for this.
0: Did have some time to prepare. He also had about twenty five minutes while Jeffrey did the open to prepare. Also, which was, <laughs> which was interesting. Uh, Jeffrey mentioned a lot of people in the open. He did not mention Doug Peterson. I don't believe I was trying to listen. Well, a lot. Why?
1: Why would he? What would he mention Doug Peterson for? Know, thank,
0: thank him for his years of service. Yeah. Well, he thanked Deuce and the other coaches that are leaving. So, you know, I just I found that interesting. Uh, it's a very young staff. Uh, Jeff Stoutland at fifty eight is the oldest. Uh, person on staff right now the mm-hmm. only other person over 40 years old that they've hired out of seven or eight people is 42 years old everybody else is under 39 uh Lots any, concerns? Of experience. any concerns about uh coming in the locker room with veterans with a bunch of these young guys here and not those voices of experience you're going from jim schwartz who has seen everything no, in the
1: I don't worry about, I don't worry about their chronological age. I worry about their, their experience, years of experience and what they've accomplished. And and that's my concern is you don't have a lot of people in the room that can, that can cite to their experience winning and their experience leading. And when you, when you have young football players and older football players, you have to be able to lead and you have to be able to, show them that they have the confidence in doing it. it just doesn't make sense that this is the guy that they brought in. There Lovey. were so many other options.
0: Lovey Smith just hired as the defensive coordinator for the Texans. And he will be with head coach, David Cully, who interviewed. Has never
1: for interviewed for a head coaching job ever. As a, as a head coach is 65
0: years old for his first head coaching job. Uh, your thoughts is the, he's the only minority hire of this coaching search it seemed like they were down to Leslie Frazier, um, potentially enemy and Cully as their their final picks. Were you surprised
1: that a 65 year old who's never interviewed before
0: and, and has ne- never been- and never
1: been a coordinator uh, is that surprising to you? It, it it doesn't surprise me. From what I'm hearing is is that that nobody wanted the job they knew that their franchise quarterback was was wanting out. So nobody really wanted this job and that team's been in disarray. So it doesn't seem like anything they do is going to make Watson want to stay by the way. He seems to want out regardless. No, he won't even return their calls. Yeah. And and by the way, he's not known as a malcontent. I mean, this is this is a good guy. And this and he, is a guy uh, who who loves that community.
0: You've got he's in, in, very ingrained in the community. You've got yeah. other players who have played on the Texans in the past saying he's right. So that that's a hard situation there for new
1: coaches coming in. And by the way for for people who are looking forward to, to our interview with Ken, he was looking forward to it too. And so I which which is great for us. Uh, supposedly he, you know, I, I heard from him and he's going to come on, just right. not today. <laughs> well yeah, we got about 90 Not not today with 90 seconds left because there's so much to talk to him about, but the the one thing that's amazing to me is that he scored the most touchdown defensive touchdowns ever in a season which is five and the, the most defensive touchdowns in the career is 13. yeah we've got
0: a lot to talk about when he comes on so we'll, we'll definitely save that uh before we get uh, out of here got about 60 70 seconds left uh, we'll talk a lot of Super Bowl next year, but we're going to see some history. Sarah Thomas will cap her sixth NFL season by becoming the first female to officiate the Super Bowl in NFL history. She'll be a down judge. Mm-hmm. Female coaches on the Tampa staff. So you're starting to see some advancement there, Jeff.
1: Yeah, it's good to see.
0: It is definitely good to mm-hmm. see. Uh, you excited for the Super Bowl matchup?
1: It's, it is going to be a good game. I mean, it's still weird that they're actually going to have a Super Bowl where Tampa is actually playing in their own stadium. I will be curious to see whether or not the attendance is as small as they say or whether or not people are going to leak into that stadium the way it appears to be for the the championship games.
0: That will definitely be something to watch. We'll have plenty more to talk about that all next week as the game approaches.